ASI Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 46 of season 3. Today I have an interview with Tom Ryan, the author of the book Ashamed No More. He is a professional like church dude, right? He's got a doctorate in ministry, so I figured the appropriate music would be would be good for this uh, interview. Here we go. You know I'm messing with you. <laughs> Let's kick this thing off. Trapped under ice. Um, whether you're a church person or not, all right. A lot of you don't go to church. A lot of you are kind of like Christianity. Eh, it's interesting, but right. I get those emails. I get you. I I want you to stick with me through this interview. This guy and that song, right? There's been pastors over the years that I've talked back and forth with via email, and these are guys who very much feel. Trapped under ice. All right, that's the name of that tune. I, I, my heart goes out to him. I think that's one of the big myths of Christianity or Christian leadership is that we do morality for a living. Um, we're shepherds, man. We're supposed to point people to Jesus. I think that that's the big part of it, and that's where religion and the gospel collide right religion says you must do these things and this is how you work out your you know god stuff right and then there's the gospel of jesus christ which basically if you break that word down it actually means good news some of the roots of that word is like a a guy coming back to his village you know writing in to to tell this very good news that this enemy that was going to come and envelop their city has been defeated, right? Like these, the people in the village are getting ready for this huge war. And these, you know, this, this, this thing is going to come in, these, this army is going to come in and, and try and devastate their city. And they, and they get this really good news. That's what the gospel means. It's good news. Um, Religion is, is something else entirely. Actually, the biblical definition for religion, if you go into the book of James, is actually charity. It's helping out widows and orphans in their affliction. It's helping people. Um, today's definition of religion could be more under the guise of worldview. I know I've talked about that before. Um, I don't want to spend too much time being redundant, but it's something to be, uh, man, if there's pastors listening, I know you're out there. I know you're listening. My heart goes out to you. Um, I talked about in the last show how I left uh, Mars Hill Church. Um, 
I want folks to know that I'm not bitter about that. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to throw rocks at the church. I'm not trying to be divisive. I am trying to be vocal enough to maybe help folks uh, reconcile, right? Because there's a lot of hurt. Um, there's a lot of jacked up stuff that happened in leadership there, but I still love Mars Hill Church. I still love Mark Driscoll. Again, um, the the marriage, yeah, the real marriage book and all that controversy. I recommend the book. It's a good book, man. I still have links to the hours of free content, a video series that Pastor Mark and his wife did on the real marriage um, series. It's good teaching, all right? And it's still up there because I believe in that message. Um, Again, I love Mark Driscoll. I just pray that that whole situation gets ratified. um, And and me stepping away uh, may encourage some of that, hopefully. So um, I'm not anti-Mars Hill Church, all right? Speaking of books, um, spend some time with Tom Ryan here, all right? Um, if you're, you feel like you cannot talk about this, if you feel, again, trapped under ice, this is going to be a really great interview for you. Um, I also wanted to talk about the book list on the website. One of my passions for doing this show is is something I've learned just in human nature and watching people and studying people. Um, being in sales for a long time, you get to be a student of people. And I think people are fascinating, right? It's like going to the zoo, um, especially here in Seattle. If you're a people watcher, you can go to a park, go to a concert. You just, just watch people. They're just, they're interesting. Um, you're changing. All right, this myth, there's this kind of blanket statement out there that says that, whoa, people don't change, right? Um, I think that our personalities and there's stuff down below the surface that, yeah, doesn't change, but our habits, our behaviors, the things we like and dislike, those things change. They change a lot, all right? You are changing. You are in a state of flux. People don't just stay in one place. We're either rolling down the hill or being pushed up a hill or coming around a bend, or something like that, right? You do not not change. You are changing. And there's times, if we're honest, that we feel that. That's the definition of flux. It's not necessarily action, but it is the fact that our, our lives are pouring out, right? It's, it's simply the feeling that that weight of the circumstances that we don't control but we're affected by, right? Um, feeling the weight of that heavy stuff that you can't put on a scale is, it's like stewing in the emotional weight of like money problems, um, relationship pressures, or just the feeling that life is passing us by, right? It's the very real weight we feel of that. And how are we going to react to it? Right? What are we going to do about it? I was thinking about that talk with Donald Miller I played on the last show and how in my own life I've had these times where I just want, like, I want God to move the story forward for me. Right? And I think that there's some truth to that, that the circumstances in our lives that we can't control, um, our reaction to that has a lot to do with, with how close we are to God, with, with how we define 
God, right? God is self-defining. That's one of the great things about Christian theology is that we don't get to define who God is, that God is. He is, that's what he says about himself, right? I am the great I am, right? And for us to to start to move into relationship with him and, and understanding who he is, Hebrews 12, 7 talks about this kind of healthy obedience, right? Not overly religious, but in bending to God's will and that he is the storyteller and that we are part of the subplot, right? Part of that for me was that living out a great story, um, moving forward in my relationship with God. Yeah, Romans 12, talking about what worship is, right? Worship is this flowing out of our, our lives every single day. Um, it's also part of the definition of the word flux, right? That we're moving, that we're flowing out, that we're continually pouring out. C.S. Lewis said, God loves us and wants for us a day at the beach while we are content to play in mud puddles and make mud pies, right? Um, there's something to that. Part of living out this life of adventure, right, is like I used to talk about in some of the early shows, right, is that we wouldn't stay stuck in the distraction of comfort, right? That we wouldn't get ensnared by the comfortable feeling of just everything is awesome, right? And <laughs> some of the Lego movie in there, right? Um, just life gets bland and predictable and we seem to stay stuck in that. Again, stuck, all right? Um, one of the things that I've not led by example, as I was going through some of my Amazon reports, um, on the website, ASI247.org, the book list, there's a, there's a bunch of books on there that I recommend highly. Um, I talked about my uh, dyslexia a, a few shows back and that reading for me is laborious and it's not something I necessarily enjoy. I like the stories. I like getting the information from the books, but sitting down or being in bed at night and reading a book, it, it takes me some, right? Like like getting my tennis shoes on and getting on a treadmill a little bit, right? For me, that's just, that's just how I'm wired. Um, for those who enjoy reading, uh, man, I, I envy you to a certain degree, right? <laughs> because it's just not me. But again, I do love the things I get out of it, like a good workout, right? Um, I will read a little scripture before I go to bed every so often right, to give myself a, a tiny bit of uh, unearned credit. I am usually more content. Here's a, here's a confession, all right? I'm usually more content laying in bed at night um, reading my Twitter feed, right? Or what's going on on Facebook or the news, right, before I go to bed instead of getting into something that would nourish my soul, okay? That takes some work for me, and, and I want to encourage you in that, to, to get a book off the book list. It does help out the show a little bit financially as well. I do get uh, credit back. The music doesn't. I don't get paid. There's like 
two songs out of the hundreds that I have listed in the music area that I would actually get a, a small teeny tiny commission for. But again, that's not that I'm, I don't care whether you buy it off the book list or not, but what are you doing to nourish your mind? Um, what are you doing to feed your soul? And that's something that I've had to um, repent of, right? To, to change. Um, I wanted to read you a story that I um, modified. <laughs> it's, a, it's an old Indian, American Indian proverb. It was inspired by two things. First, it's inspired by this sitting in what feels like we're in flux, right? Um, anxiety. Um, worry, extensive worry, depression can be some of the fruit of that over time. Flux, right? That state of being like you're feeling like nothing is going to change and, and this is just how it is. Um, I think we all wrestle with some of that. So it's inspired by some of those feelings as well as it's inspired by this verse from Scripture um, Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul talking to, to religious people, really. Um, here, here you go. Check this out. Galatians 5, uh, starting in 16. So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. So inspired by that piece of scripture, here is my um, take on this American Indian proverb. Uh, you, some of you have heard the story before. I, again, I've changed some of the words. So it's a refresher and it's good to be reminded. So I'm going to read it again. The chief was sitting at the edge of the village, obviously in deep thought. He sat there for hours and hours, seemingly unmoving. The tribe was beginning to get worried and restless, but nobody wanted to disturb him. An elder eventually got up his courage, walked over. Chief, he asked, what's going on? You look so troubled. The chief just sat there, and the elder thought that he had not heard. Finally, the chief spoke. He said, you know, it's like there's two dogs fighting inside me all the time. A dog of glowing light and beauty, and a dog of fire and smoke. The dog of fire is not glowing with light, but life-choking smoke and consuming fire. He is mean, irritable, and angry. He is fighting for me to stay isolated. His venomous bites fill me with anger and resentment, like things are never going to get better. He wounds my sense of being with self-righteousness or self-destructive pride. His blows have me feeling fearful, anxious, judgmental, and spiritually disconnected. The dog of glowing light is fighting for me to shine light from the inside. As he bites into the fire and smoke dog, I am brought to live fearlessly outside myself with love, passion, and kindness. I feel his bite sinking into me like good pain when I go the extra mile or push through fear. He slashes at the fire and smoke dog with forgiveness, grace, and hope for the future. This dog shines bright. 
He is the me that longs to live with purpose. This dog is my God-given soul and authentic self. My essence, my creativity flow from here, as does my intuition, faith, and sense of connection and compassion. The mystery of the glowing light dog has me reaching to know more about the depths of a vibrant, real, and unconditional love and spiritual connection. Behind these eyes is a battle. The fire and smoke dog continually fighting the glowing light dog. The chief said, Both of these dogs are very powerful, and their battle continues inside me right now. The elder, looking concerned, bent down to the chief and asked quietly, So chief, which dog wins? The chief sat quietly for a moment, looked up at the elder and said, The dog I feed. Laughing like we're crazy, nothing mattered, nothing fazed me. We were younger then, so much younger then. Everything seems rotten through the eyes of the forgotten. ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 46. My guest is Tom Ryan, the author of Ashamed No More, A Pastor's Journey Through Sexual Addiction. Tom, welcome, and thanks for being on the podcast, brother. It is an honor. I'm humbled and honored to have you on the show. Welcome. Well, Russ, I got to say, it is my honor, really, and, and it's going to sound like I'm just being gratuitous or blowing smoke in your face, but um, I'm sincere. I listen to ASI podcasts regularly. Um, it's a lift to me. You're an encouragement to me, uh, and I've been a long-time listener, so this is a privilege to me, so thanks for having me on. That's awesome, and I'm I'm, I'm honored by that as well, because you, you're a professional guy. Like, uh, a few <laughs> episodes ago, I talked about my unconventional education, and and you're like a dude who's been to real college, which which is right. You have a degree in in ministry, a doctorate in ministry, and uh, the fact that a guy like you would listen to a uh, you know an ex drug dealer, drug addict um, from Seattle is, is now. Listen, <laughs> I listened to that podcast. I was out walking my dog, uh, my chocolate Labrador, listening to you go through. Well, now, but I do do this, and I listen to this, and I'm thinking. <laughs> Lord, I couldn't sit through those lectures. I couldn't listen to that stuff. You know, I'm ADD, and I'll, I don't know how I got a master's or a bachelor's, or and I did flunk some courses in um, in undergraduate. I was doing Young Life on campus and Bible studies and all that, and flunking Shakespeare. It was pretty pretty grim in my uh, undergraduate uh, years. Nothing to be really writing home about there. But 
Yeah, you're you you teach me, man. You you bring in insights and and you bring it with a with a breadth of reality that the church really really needs. Um because at the bottom line the gospel's real stuff. It's shoe leather, man. It's what we're supposed to live in and walk in and if we are not doing that then we we default into playing church. And time right. is just too short to be playing church. Amen to that. That's part of why I chose the bumper music for the episode today. Um, there's a band called Metallica, and the song was called uh, Trapped Under Ice, which is how it can really feel when you're in ministry and you struggle with especially a sexual addiction, right, Tom? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a great metaphor, trapped under ice. Because it feels that way. The thing is, uh, like you and I both know, addiction is always a symptom of a of a deeper thing going on in our hearts and our lives. Uh, and so we we can start dealing with the addiction, and but that's those are the symptoms. And usually, the healing the Lord wants to to unveil in our in ourselves is deeper, and it's going to be heart issues and all that. Well, that gets right at the core of ministry leadership or healthy church participation or even being a part of a healthy church is is this a group of people who are willing to go deeper willing to be honest about what's going on in the heart and um that's that's recovery that's healthy spirituality um and i i think recovery is just a subset of basically the spiritual trajectory that jesus has for uh for everyone he loves and calls um he's, that's he's about life change that's what's cool about your book, too, is you, you have a whole chapter called Genuine Spiritual Transformation, right? The recovery yeah. movement. Yeah. And what I, what I dig about you, Tom, is that your perspective is not just an individual's perspective, but you do talk a lot about your story. But one of the things I really like about you is that you're also bringing kind of the social, in psychological terms, the social psych um, paradigm into it. Um, which a lot of folks, like there's a lot of folks who write books, and I think it's great that we would engage, I mean, and that's what you're doing, and that's what a lot of people do, but you, um, and I don't know if it's your professionalism, but part of it is your story, but you really have a heart for for other people and for the impact that you made as a guy who had a bomb go off and were, was arrested over this stuff and yeah. seeing the, the hurt that you caused but also realizing the reality of this, you know, this iceberg like motivations that are, you know, floating that nobody sees and there's just so much to this that is under the surface that so many churches and so many organizations, not just churches but some businesses that are struggling with this kind of thing, right? And and that we would um engage the wounded person and and not just throw them aside or shun them, right? But to like the Bible says, with we would with gentleness and respect try and restore them. Um, and that's what I like about you, Tom, is that you're you bring that that paradigm, the the social aspect of this this problem to light um, in your book and in in some of the talks I've heard you do. Uh, talk about that a little bit. It's, it's like fighting an uphill battle. But when when you've been the guy, you know, who's under scrutiny, under the white light, right, uh, yeah. being being uh, interviewed or <laughs> like 
I mean, you you know that you felt that you've uh, that's not unfamiliar to you, is it? No, no. Uh, you read at the beginning the title of the book, uh, "Ashamed No More," and then the university put the subtitle, "A Pastor's Journey Through Sex Addiction." I mean, come on, Russ. Who in his right mind, who's a Christian, who's a pastor, would want to get finally get a book published and have that be the title? I mean, you got to be crazy, right? I mean, that's just nuts. Um, but but one of the reasons I wrote the book was after experiencing then some of the freedom that I'd long been seeking and, and having God really finally bring that about. Um, I wanted to say thank you to God. Uh, but but then to, to say, hey, there is help, there is a way out for those like me who are struggling in secrecy and in isolation and in shame. And, uh, you know, ministry is a tough spot anyway because we make it tough, those of us that are professional ministry leaders, uh, we put expectations on ourselves, we're comparing uh, the effects and the impacts of our ministry compared to our brother's ministry and our sister's ministry down the street, and um, there's all those human dynamics, there's the human organizational dynamics, uh, success factors, and we can remind ourselves that, well, this is a spiritual entity and Jesus is the one who defines success, but we're all real human, and uh, you know, if my church is is 500 and my friend Adam's church down the street is 5,000, uh, you know, and then I'm going to ask questions. What's the matter with me? How come I'm not a better leader? How come I don't have that kind of impact? And and I can remind myself that Jesus uh, isn't calling me to to be successful like everybody else. He's calling me to be faithful. But it's really easy to just fall back into those human dynamics and feelings and um, those senses of wanting to be significant and wanting to, to have success. Then, if all that isn't enough, you've got the expectations that folks have that they put on you, and you've got all their different interpretations of what it means to be church or what it means to have a good preacher or what it means to be genuinely spiritual or biblically orthodox or whatever else. you got all those agendas. Then, if all that isn't enough, a lot of us in ministry, and let's just be honest, we're fairly banged up people. We're, we're right. fairly hurt by life. A lot of us yeah, we're genuinely called. Yeah, the divine being is 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 involved in it, but he tends to draw a lot of us who are already bent by life into his service of ministry. Uh, I think because if he can bring us through that brokenness into some healing, then we become much more effective in terms of serving in the same spirit of Jesus. But the key right. is we got to be able to to own up our brokenness, own up our shame, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, really move through that transition, and it is hell to go through, to get to the other place. And and we throw too many guys away, or they won't, they won't do it, and then the church loses effective, seasoned, uh, genuinely uh, redeemed leadership. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's part of it, too. There's a you know, there, there's an authenticity of heart that you see in a person who is, is genuinely repentant, right? Like yeah. using that word. <laughs> um, yeah. When someone, as far as the Bible would say, disqualifies themselves from ministry, um, yeah. or what most churches would, would put that as, right? Um, there's, there's certain scriptures that talk about, about that and about it being above reproach. Um, there's also people who are 
who are sorry that they got caught, right? There's people who are sorry that they got caught, and then there's people who are genuinely broke up about what happens when when their sin yeah. is exposed. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's I've been around a while, it's, it's easier to see now than it, than it used to be. And, and for some of us, that's part of the journey, isn't it? Um, you talk about in your book shame and morality. You know, there's there's this we know what we should and ought to do, and that's part of that's part of my passion for doing this podcast and this ministry is that there's an attitude of heart, right? Like like we know what we should and ought to do, but then there's what we're actually doing, you know. And you, you go back to that story in the in in the Bible of of Jacob, right, wrestling with God and and having his hip blown out, right, and he and he walks with a limp. Yeah, for the rest of his life. Like it doesn't yeah. say that he he got all fixed up and now he's out running marathons. <laughs> no, no, he's he's walking with a limp for the rest of his days. But there's something to the the authenticity of that. But there's also something to be said about a genuine heart change, right? Yeah. Like, and and I don't know if you've seen this and and some of the stuff that you've you've worked with, but. I'm trying to put into words this this when, when a guy okay when a guy gets busted and he says he's going to make some surfacey changes he's sorry and he made a mistake um, right that there's a different energy to that than a guy who's tearful bawling crying out to God and. Uh, does that make sense, Tom? Can oh, you totally. That a little a- bit? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it it's, it reminds me of um, that story of Jesus talking about the parable of the sower and the seed falling. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there is some seed that'll spring right up, but it's got no root. And in a similar way, a guy that's you know caught and exposed, you know, can have a quick repentance, and and it can even be somewhat sincere, but it might not be rooted in the heart. It's a response, right. you know. And we might we might characterize it as well. He's just sorry he got caught. Yeah, that's probably probably primarily it. And the key's going to be: is there some fruit in this, and what's really going on um, in his in his real in the real work of his deeper soul? Um, is right. he really genuinely doing business with with his Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer on um, what our Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer wants wants to do with him? Because the and there is the day, some truth to that because you know most people who that's what I heard there was a statistic in recovery and this is fairly old information but it said that uh, like four out of five men who enter into some kind of sexual addiction recovery. Um, do so because a bomb went off. <laughs> I mean, that was my story and your story. So I guess I'm not I'm not trying to be too judgmental and how it how it blows up, but but how we handle it, like you're saying, is is yeah. uh, is in the, in the light of what we really believe in in our yeah. roots, right? Well, one of the reasons I wrote the book too um, was that in the in the bigger picture of my story, I actually started working on came to understand that I was a sex addict relatively earlier. I mean, I was in ministry, had gone through seminary, was married, had four kids. What I knew was I was ashamed of the fact that I was such a lustaholic. I didn't use that term. I just knew what was going on in my head, and I knew that I had, you know, participated in getting porn and looking at porn and doing all kinds of stuff. This was pre-internet age, 
Right. So, you know, we had to crawl in the back end of the cave with a torch and read the uh, pornographic right. drawings on the cave walls back before the <laughs> Internet. And I would go to those extreme links to get my little high that way and, and masturbate and whatnot. But it was never okay. You know, Russ, it, it, it wasn't one of those things where I thought, well, that's just, you know, whatever. As long as nobody knows, it doesn't hurt anybody. Or that's right. the price of me being me. It, it, no, 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 no. I, I early on knew this was not cool. Um and and but what I did was uh, I didn't know how to get help, didn't want to get help, I was afraid of getting help, and so I just did that classic American Christian thing of, well, Jesus and I are going to fix this, you know. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just hunker down and Lord, I promise I will never do that again. Well, you know how that goes, and uh, you white knuckle two days, and then you capitulate three times the third day. And then you're just awash in shame and self-loathing. Right. And that was my cycle over and over and over till I finally went to a guy who said, yeah, you know, read uh, Patrick Carnes out of the shadows. And I started reading it, and I realized, oh, I am an addict, and I'm not alone. And, and that started the journey. Um, right. But, you know, then... Then it's uh, okay. Uh, do I immediately have I repented? Do I turn the? I've repented a bazillion times. I mean, stopping our addiction is never the problem. It's not restarting it <laughs> that's the problem. Right. And uh, you know, but I came back to it, and, and I came back to it, and I told my wife, and I had a sequence of little mini explosions. You know, when I first went to a uh, a counselor in 92, I, I was struggling with anger and depression, and but I also told him the truth about these hidden behaviors, and that's what I was really ashamed about. And there was some relief, and my behaviors changed a little bit, but the addiction itself wasn't really solved, quote-unquote, for a lot of years. And um, part of the reason I wrote Ashamed No More is to say that, you know, Sometimes our healing is not unlike that that story where Jesus has the blind man and and Jesus uh, puts his eyes hands on the guy's eyes and pulls his hands away and says, "What do you see now?" And the guy says, "Well, I see men, but they look like trees walking." And uh, right. Jesus puts his hands on the guy's eyes a second time. Now, now why on earth, Russ? I mean, there you know, every time it's instantaneous healing. Jesus can do anything. Why would he have to do it twice? And I think it's just one of those hints to say there's not one formula that's going to be scotch-taped over every situation. You know, some are this way, some are that way. I am the Lord. I will do things the way I will do them, and what I ask is that you follow me, follow me, trust me, trust me. And uh, and mine mine was a long, arduous journey, and I don't want to put that off on Jesus. I mean, yeah, I look at it as me. But I write the book partly just to say, you know, hey, all of our journeys are a little bit different, and they're all special to our Father in Heaven. And the point is to cooperate and keep going because He does heal. He does restore. He does change. And we may limp. I got scars. You got scars. Right. But we're walking in a different spirit. We're walking in a deeper level of intimacy with our Father in Heaven. And, man, to Him be the glory. That's right. Amen. And. Yeah. Part of a big part of this, really seeing some change, right? I mean, like you said, and I so relate to that. You know, the kind of struggling in the dark, and and I'm never going to do this again. Saying that for the thirty fifth thousandth time, right? Yeah. 
and then yeah. but but there's again then there's that social aspect of having to to confess it um to somebody else right live face to face and and then going through the process of you know maybe being in groups or being in community uh yeah. where you where you're actually talking about it with other human beings right and and I think prayer is great but I think part of uh, part of healing is is the body of Christ isn't it it's it's you know we like to say group therapy in psychological terms but when that spiritual aspect comes into it and we can just be naked and unashamed in in front of other people like that emotionally spiritually naked like here's me right here's what i believe here's what i know i should and ought to do but here's what i'm actually doing and when that when those things can collide and we can really be honest and talk about it um it, it, it is so incredibly life-giving. Um, yeah. You talk about some of that in your book and and being, uh, you talk about the, this genuine spiritual transformation in, in, in that you experience through the recovery movement, right? You call it the recovery movement in one of the chapters. Right, right. And, and you're absolutely right uh, that it's a non-negotiable, I think, in almost every case it's a non-negotiable that we need other people that we're honest with that we're not going right. to do it alone i suppose every now and then um the lord can swoop in and and just redeem a guy and restore a soul and and do it in semi-isolation just to kind of remind all of us that he's the lord um, that's right but <laughs> that but does the, happen it was pretty rare but it's it does pretty happen. rare and let's not count on it i'm not i'm not going to be that <laughs> rare bird i don't think i'm that special um yeah. the reality is he's wired us to need each other and uh, in some ways being a sex addict being compulsive with my sexual behaviors is 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 that god-given wiring that's been misapplied it's been bent maybe i've been abused maybe something else has happened maybe i've been misshaped maybe i've just been exposed to stuff or just gone down the wrong road and sex is so powerful i mean it is rocket fuel baby and you yeah. put that you know in the wrong engine at the wrong time and light it up and you can you can get a heck of a ride uh, but all of a sudden you're going down a different path than what was intended and that happens to a lot of us particularly in the internet age now um but but back to people and community um we do have this wiring where we need to be in relationship with each other and um and a lot of the healing that God will do, yes, prayer is essential. And, and yeah, God wants a deeper relationship of intimacy with each one of us. And the ways in which Jesus does that is through each other. It doesn't mean through everybody. It doesn't mean you blabbed everybody. It doesn't mean you need to tell everybody. It doesn't mean you need to dump all your laundry out to every soul you meet. But it means that there's got to be some genuine connecting with others. Because there's, I think there's... Excuse me. I think there's about two things that happen. There are profound things that happen when I become really honest with you and say, hey, here's what's really going on in my head. And as I can tell, here's what's really going on in my heart. And then I and then I lay it out to you. Two things happen. When I am honest and tell you and articulate, I, I get it out of the shadows of my brain, of my soul, 
where I'm in control, all right, and where it kind of has its own control, its own track. It's just going round and round and round in my compulsive thinking. It comes out into the light. It leaves the shadows of my soul and comes out into the light. Well, sometimes that process alone puts things in a different perspective for me. It 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 makes the monster a little bit smaller. It makes the yeah. craving a little bit more obvious as to what it really is, how unsatisfying it will it really is. It it just it makes the addiction uh appear as as it really is um but the other thing is, if I share it with the right person, and you're the right person, and and you receive that, it doesn't mean you're in charge of fixing me. You're not going to save my soul. Jesus does that. You're not going to be right. the person who has to, you know, give me the answers. You're not the answer man. But when you receive that that truth that I share, when you receive that in grace, then I realize I'm okay. There's an acceptability about me. There's an embrace, and what it is is it's Jesus in the presence of you, in the in the in your person. It's Jesus in you, accepting me, embracing me, and it just brings a little bit more of the heavenly realm into this dark world. And right. there's there's liberty there. There's that's that's Luke four there. There's 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 the proclaiming of liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. That happens in little increments like that. And that's where life change happens. Not in the big dramatic prayer or the sacrifice or the blowing up or the mea culpa on the internet. It's it's in the little moments that are strung together like pearls of the Holy right. Spirit working in life. That's where life change, I think, mostly happens. And um, that's where the Spirit is, I think. I'm so glad you said that because it's, it is it is it's, it's sharing our story. Um, in the last, the last uh, podcast I did, I talked about how important it is to, to live a story. Like God wants to see our lives unfold in a way that's, you know, that's honoring him and that's, right, that's yeah. true. Um, that's in relationship with Him, like like that He knows us, and and our knowing Him uh, that rubs off on other people. Yeah. Um, there's something very important to that, the, the storyline of our lives, and and yeah, that's one thing I guess I, I feared about uh, getting into recovery groups is that I was as a as a young man I was forced into a recovery group by the state of Washington. And it was a, an AA kind of a group, and I just I just didn't get it right, and that was part of my cold hard heartedness at the time. But I think that's what, what was one of the fears: like, how are these people going to fix me, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not about that, like you just said. It's, it's not about that. It's that we, when we share our story, like I studied a lot of closure, like some of me walking through my own, you know sexual problems and really getting to some of the roots of of sexual abuse that was in my past and and I wanted you know it's almost like we want some kind of closure on that and there's really when I when I study the Bible and when I talk to, to pastors like yourself and talking to a lot of folks who who understand this thing I've really noticed and maybe you could could help me out with this a little bit that there's really no such thing as closure but there is the fact that we get to tell our stories and when our stories reflect out of us like you said it's getting it out on the table like a tumor or something and we look at it and then we can all talk about it and see it talk about the anticipation towards the next temptation that may come to us um when we start to 
to really share that we're not perfect and that we are all struggling together, um, that's life-giving. And it's moving the story of our lives forward, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, that's exactly right. And when you were talking about closure, I was thinking, you know, there's there's probably two different ways to look at closure. And maybe when we talk about closure, I think in terms of finality, you know, right. I finally got saved or I finally got converted or I finally got uh, clean or I finally got, you know, whatever, and I'm free of my addiction, quote, unquote, or I'm free of whatever. And and I don't think the Lord generally gives us finality in this life, but what he does give us are seasons, and there are seasons right. of movement, and and uh, there are these moments where we become aware. Sometimes it's in hindsight, but we look back and say that season's now over. Um, right. I got friends um, who whose daughter just died, and drug addiction was instrumental in her death, and she died a young oh, woman. Man. They're entering a season of profound grief, right? And so it's going to be at least two to four years, but the reality is their lives will never be the same, right? Because they've lost this adult child to this cruel thing, and um, that is, you know, and they weren't negligent. They were, they tried to do all the right things, uh, you know, and, and it's still. You know she's she's gone, and uh, so they're entering a season. But but there are then seasons that in our lives there's sequences of seasons. Sometimes they overlap, but they they come to some conclusion where there's some resolution. And I think that that speaks to the refreshing of the spirit that that uh, that Peter was talking about in one of his. Um, uh, sermons right after Pentecost, not the Pentecost day, but the next one. He was talking about uh, repent that seasons of refreshing from heaven may come. And that, another way I think that he was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the coming of the Spirit. But I, isn't that a great way to put that? Seasons of refreshing. It's kind of yeah. like new wind in our sails to say, come on, Russ, you can. Okay, we finished that piece of work and on to the next thing. And man, you're closer than ever, and I'm with you. And uh, here's some more energy for the next piece of your journey because you know you're doing the life that I want you to be doing. So it's so true, and and I think that that's maybe some of the some of the issues that that Christianity has, or American Christianity, or American evangelicalism as a whole. Uh, sometimes we try and sell Jesus as some kind of a way to fix ourselves, and and it's not that we would just get get saved, right? And then everything would be would be great after that, you know, and have this new life that we talk about, you know, being born again, and and that's certainly a metaphor in the Bible. But it's like you said, I've noticed in my life, and it's so true. I heard another pastor who was writing on this topic, and she said that you know, it's like we it's like something dies and then is reborn uh-huh. and then something dies and is reborn. It's a, yeah. one of my things as a, as a Christian who, who celebrates Halloween, right? Like some, yeah. of, some of the folks like, have a, like, why do you, that's such a dark holiday, Russ. Well, here's the deal. It's celebrating the fall. That's what it's about. I'm not worshiping the devil. Okay. Yeah. But the facts are <laughs> that this is a season where things die and your life is like that. My life is like that. There's going to be, seasons where stuff dies and then in the spring it comes back to life and and it's not you know i think that we have this kind of like my my friend pastor scott says that we have this this miss this misanticipation of the one and done right 
Like I want right. to just get saved and then my life will be clean and pure and, and holy. But that's not reality, is, is it, Tom? No, because that reality is I get saved and my 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 life's all reset and clean and pure and holy. But there's that part of my nature that says, oh, boy, it's all clean, reset. Now I get to do it right. I get to do it right. And it removes exactly. my dependency. It takes away my, my genuine God-induced dependency upon my Creator. You know, it, that's it, right. It, it just because we've all in this life still got that part of our nature that kind of pines for self-justification. You know, exactly. Everybody, everybody that was my story of recovery from drugs and alcohol, Tom. Is that it, it's kind of like Jesus became like a bit player in my story, right? Uh, like, yeah. and that that's one thing that had to be broke in me when I got into the the sexual addiction recovery is that this kind of higher power sense that. That that Jesus was some kind of a supporting actor in in my in my movie was wrong, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that, maybe that's an American thing. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, it's that self self grandiose justification, right? It's we're, certain. We're, it's, it's certainly embraced by American uh, thinking, American culture. Uh, that's for sure. I think it's probably more generic. It's probably more human. I think you'd probably find it in lots of places. But boy, we sure have specialized in it, haven't we? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true, man. Absolutely. Um. You uh, again. Some of the the speaking that you've done, having a a heart for people who uh, who have fallen. Um, you've talked about that when a guy is busted in sexual addiction or having something uh, something bomb go off like that in a church. Like there's opportunity there that I think the knee-jerk reaction to be like the corporate kind of entrepreneur attitude towards the church is to just fire that guy. You say we shouldn't do that. Wait, hold on a second, and that's that's me too. That's another one of my passions. But you 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 do it better <laughs> because you have more experience in it. But it, it's really true that when a, when a guy falls, there's an opportunity there for the grace of God to come in. And for people to say, oh, okay, like, we can blow the lid off this. Like, we can really talk like normal people about this, right? Yeah. There's an opportunity there. There doesn't have to be a, a severing or a uh, you're fired like on The Apprentice, you know, Donald Trump style. Right. There, there can be more of a, a Jesus-centered way of doing this, right, Tom? Talk about that yeah, a little Yeah. Bit. And again, it's really important that your listeners hear me uh, talking about church and church dynamics with real humility because I love the church. I respect the church. Um, I've given my life in service to the church, um, but I am an addict and I'm a sinner and I created a framework of hurt and disappointment for a lot of people that were close to me and, I, and I'm sorry. I really am. So it's with some contrition and humility, um, but it's still that same love of, of wanting the church to be what, what she's capable of being, what Jesus has called her into being, that, that I say these kinds of things. So, right. so yeah, let's say you got a ministry leader that's engulfed in some kind of sexual compulsive behavior and it either becomes known or he's he or she's trying to figure out what to do about it. Uh, one mentality, uh, a predominant mentality, I suppose, in conservative <coughs> churches, particularly our, quote, Bible-believing churches, close quotes, would be to say, well, 
You know, James 3.1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, because as such you can incur, uh, you will incur a, a stricter judgment. And, and there's other verses that talk about morality and uh, purity, and of course there are different sets of ordination vows that different people take to uh, protect the peace and unity and purity, quote-unquote, of the church. And so we see a sexual right. sin as besmirching that purity, uh, of violating the moral codes of those who are entrusted to teach the the, the truths of the scriptures and the and the pastor and discipline and and spiritually guide the flock of Jesus and so their their purity has their their moral authority has been abridged by this particular sin and so they need to be removed from office and from service. That's that's an over reduction, but that's probably the conservative and and basic approach. What's wrong with right. that? Isn't isn't there a lot of truth in that? Yeah, there's some truth in that. There really is. Here here's what's right. wrong. One of the factors, one of the things is that it accentuates sexual sin over all the other sins that people regularly commit. Right. And it says sexual sin is, and I know what Paul says in the Corinthian epistles about sex. Sexual sin is different than other sins because it's a sin against a person's own body. Yeah, he says that. Uh, but you got to look at the context of why he's saying that to the Corinthians and what was going on in that Greco culture and in their practice, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't mitigate the truth, but doesn't mean that that becomes our badge for which sins disqualify, quote-unquote, a person from ministry. Bottom right. line, Russ, every human being's disqualified from Jesus' level of ministry. We're all disqualified. You know, yeah. you go through the Sermon on the Mount, he picks up adultery, and he says, yeah, but lust. Well, he also talks about oaths and anger, and and the whole context is one of, I'm not, I didn't come to set aside the law, but to bring it to fulfillment. I'm going to make all of you as perfect as your Father in heaven. That's the goal. I'm changing you. However, you know, not one of you are able to achieve the real fullness of that law and are doing it right now. Still, even though you can't fulfill it, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So don't lose your flavor. So don't hide your light. Uh, right. Now, pray this way. Now, live this way. Now, don't judge each other. Now, listen to my words and build your life on my words, and you'll withstand the storms that come your way. I mean, right. Stop building greatest... your life on sand. Exactly. <laughs> not on sand, is. not on feelings, not on your my <coughs> words, on my word, period. So so back to sexual sin. So what do you do when a leader uh, has has sexual issues? Um if if we take that old uh, approach to say, well, that disqualifies, then you've accentuated sex over all the other moral frameworks and all the other things. But there's, yeah, there's something a list. further. There, yeah, yeah, there's something further. And if you're if we, you're not honest, you're, we're all on that list, right? I mean, that's, we're all on that list. That's the bottom line to me. Yeah. The, the, let's be honest. More damage yeah. is done in churches by gossip and slander and pride and arrogance. I mean, how many church campaigns, uh, building campaigns have been done that were secretly rooted in pride and envy because somebody else had a bigger building? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Nicholson I had a friend. It. I had a good friend years and years and years ago who had a pipe organ company. I love pipe organs. I don't know about you. It's probably kind of crazy, isn't it? Now you're going you're gonna to write me off. <laughs> no, if no. it's a well played pipe organ, now if it's a not a well played, that's different. My my he he. I said, what's the biggest pipe organ you ever built? 
and he says, 93 ranks in such and such city, let's say First Christian Church in the XYZ city. I said, 93 ranks? And he goes, I said, how did the church even say they wanted a 93 rank organ? Why, how did they even get to that number? And he looks at me and he goes, because First Presbyterian Church had a 92 rank organ. Oh, man. Yeah, this is what we do. I mean, now that's a silly example, but but we we move into these levels of of uh comparison and envy and pride. Well, there's a lot of damage, man. There's a lot of false spirituality that gets motivated and because our hearts are not right. Uh, right. Sex it's forming like sex, you talk about for, forming those attachments that that yeah. can be so shallow. And so sex addiction is just a real it's a it's a real clear demonstration of that attachment right. going wrong. It, it's 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 painful. It it's destructive. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So we could throw away these leaders like we usually do and then try and clean house, but really no house is cleaned and nothing's gained and we lose leaders. But yeah. why And not we, only that, but you're also telling your church that okay, this is a place where if you confess um, that you are broken. Um, oh, absolutely. We're not. Yeah, we're 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 not grace driven. Like we're we're going to toss you aside. Like uh, God yeah. forbid that you would actually show some humanity or or want. Oh, Russ, you're you're exactly right. Every single time the church does that, it sends a message to all of its members: this is not a safe place. You may not be yeah. honest here. If you're struggling with sex, hide, shut up, and be exactly. quiet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what does that do to genuine community? How does that help anybody follow Christ? Exactly. So conversely, you know, if your pastor came down with really bad diabetes, and maybe he's overweight, you know, so maybe, again, we love to do blame fixing. It's one of our favorite indoor sports. But, you know, you might say, you know, all right, you know, you got to address this. Or if he comes down with cancer, we'd send him away to a cancer treatment, MD Anderson or or Mayo's or someplace, because we love our pastor. We want him to get well. Well, why don't we take these guys and send them away for treatment? Why don't we say to these people, you know, you've got some real issues. We want you to address them. We're going to save your spot. We're going to get you the best treatment. You're going to have to work your butt off. Uh, You're going to have to be honest about it, but we're with you. And when you're at a place of better clarity, uh, your spot's here. Come back and help us all grow deeper in the grace and in the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, if we start doing that in the church, I think the church will start to have something to say to this culture. Because this culture is sex crazed. The culture knows that it's in trouble. I mean, you you and I both know about NoFap on the Reddit thing. Yeah, yeah. What what was the last time I looked on there? 101,000 guys that have taken oh, the it's no 105 now i just checked it yesterday is that right okay now this is this is largely largely days. without any kind of a spiritual framework without a moralizing tone without a you right. know just say no campaign these are guys that are just trying to get healthy that are saying i got yeah. glue in my head man i'm becoming stupid i want to get my brain back and right. they'll do whatever they can find to try and get healthy again from internet porn and, and compulsive sex and and how can the how come the church can't be offering that because it really is, you know, that place of truth and grace. Uh, are supposed yeah, to be. and I think that one of the things that um, you talk about the emergent church and and there's been a lot of news and and talk about that and 
you know, the, some <clears throat> some of these church leaders that come from a, a unorthodox beginnings, right? Like uh, Nadia Bowles Weber is one that I've been into kind of lately. I don't agree with her on everything, but I get it, right? Yeah, like, I've heard you a, refer to her, hundred... and I, I've appreciated I've appreciated the quotes from her that you brought for. I, I I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and but there's a there's a there's a hunger and a thirst for that kind of openness and honesty. I think when it's pushed all the way to the other side, it can be um, like sometimes with, with our own honesty, we can just justify our sin. Oh yeah. But again, it's like when you're when you're called out and when you're in community, you know, <laughs> you have other people who who bounce those ideas off you when they come out of your head, and that's really healthy uh, as well. But there is something to that. There is something to um, being honest and open and just letting it letting it all out there, flaws and all. Um, being who you are, yeah. not who you think the world should be. And I think that's made a big part of In the discussions that I've had with a lot of folks who are unbelievers and unchurched, that's a big one, is that the church isn't authentic, and that's a big complaint that they have. There's the, the exclusivity. And yeah. I, I like to talk about how Jesus is, you know, just, I mean, just forgives outright. It's the, I think Christianity is the most exclusive religion because it's the most inexclusive religion. Like, yeah. Like you said, we like to sit in, in judgment of others. But that's a big part of it. Like, we need to, and that's one of your passions and mine as well, but we need, if we're not honest, if we've created a place where people can't talk, leaders can't talk, then yeah. we're, it just breeds gossip, doesn't it? Because then people kind of have to speculate on what's going on because we, we really don't know. We know something happened, but yeah. we're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah, Rick and Warren think, used to say people are down on what they're not up on. So, yeah. you know, open the windows, man. Tell the truth. And, you know, me being honest, quote-unquote, is me trying to get at the truth, but ultimately Jesus is going to be the truth, right? And so, right. but but if I'm not open and talking about, well, here's what I think, or here's what I know, or here's what I've been hiding, Russ, so let me tell you this, then you and I bring that out in the light, and again, the truth then has a has a crack at it. You know, we can we can hold that up to what we know to be ultimately true that the Lord gives to us and say, okay, so I've been operating on this premise, but in the light of day, it looks like it's really not so much that, but this, and so let's make a change accordingly. Well, that's how we keep shape, reshaping the church and making that's it right. a healthier community. Yeah, that's yeah. how we get out of winter, right? Like C.S. Lewis in the yeah. Chronicles of Narnia, where you know you have this winter kind of cold-hearted witch that rules over this this area, and it's it's always cold, but it's never Christmas. He writes, you know, yeah. and and it, it's moving out of that season. I, I can't I can't remember if it was you or Nate Larkin that that had this quote that I, I love. This I wrote it down. It says that we're just about as sick as our secrets, aren't we? We may have both used that because that's an old AA slogan. We are as sick oh, as I the see. secrets we keep. I know I use right. that one, and Nate may have too. I love, I love, I listened to your interview with Nate. I love that uh, picture him walking around. Uh, Walking around Franklin, you know, for the longest time I'd listen to his podcast, and if you've ever, you've, I know you've listened to it, and I'll say, here we are, high atop the mellow mushroom. Well, I'm so stupid. For years, I didn't know what the heck the mellow mushroom. I pictured some, you know, architectural feature in Nashville or something. They were in some skyscraper. They were on some mountain, and then I realized it's a pizza joint, and they're on the second floor above a pizza joint called the mellow mushroom. <laughs> 
I mean, how stupid is that? But, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. But I love that. I love that conversation you had with Nate and his and his take on on what the gospel is. And uh, and you know, when I was pastoring the church that I planted, and I pastored for 19 years, I had a guy come to me <clears throat> who was a recovering alcoholic, and he said, "We don't have an AA chapter in in our part of the suburbs." Could I start one when we get a building? So we were 10 years in, in renting places, and we finally built a building. So we gave them a room, and, and it started small. But by the time we did the second phase, they were, I, I, got them, I fought to get them their own room with a, with a sink so they could make coffee and, a, and their own exit door so they could step outside and smoke. <clears throat> and it was, the, it was the second largest uh, AA chapter in our, in our metropolitan area when I left. At 32 meetings a week, I mean, they just they just breathe uh, recovery and reality and and that kind of thing. Well, one of their slogans is "We are as sick as the secrets we keep." I would have folks in my church. This I kid you not, Russ. This is the truth. Who would come up to me every now because we did the Alpha course and and so some of the guys from the AA group would come to the Alpha course and they'd meet Jesus as their higher power and then they start coming to church and. And, um, man, they were my BS detectors, you know, and they'd sit in the front three rows. And, and when I was really preaching and talking honestly, you know, they'd be leaning forward and paying attention. And I started slipping to Christian cliches and, and preacher coast talk. Uh, they just lean back, put their arms on the side of the chair and just their eyelids would come down halfway like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom's just talking right now. <clears throat> right. So they, they were my, they were my filter to, to keep me real. But I had church people who would say, Man, you know, sometimes I kind of envy um, the recovering alcoholics because they just seem so real. Right. Now, what is wrong with that picture that a well-meaning Christian would say there's an authenticity in the recovery community that I am recognizing and I wish that my experience in Christian community was as real? Right. Wow. I mean, that's in the Bible. I mean, we confess our sins to one another, and, 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 you and that's that healed. thirst that we have. Yeah, we'll be healed. Yeah. We, we can yeah. feel that, right? Yeah, like what does Paul say in Galatians 6? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's right. Man, there's freedom there. Yeah, and there's a. It, it's almost like a, a little thirst in us. That I think it's just God put in us to, to yeah. need one another. Right. Yeah. Well, what you and I know is that you and I stumbled into our compulsive stuff, um, our own ways, and we got bent and we got hurt and all that, and we found addiction and coping and shortcuts and all that um, one way. But now we've got a whole generation of guys that are finding it through the internet, and we do have a we do have a vulnerability around sex because of how we're made and how we're wired. And um, we have got to change this conversation in the church. We've really got to, but it's going to, I think, have to be on the grassroots level. I think it's just going to be regular guys and women changing that conversation and demanding that leadership uh, address itself differently because leadership's just entrenched in so many ways and, and is fighting so many battles and is afraid. And and I get it. There's also resistance in the pews. I know I've got a, right. a pastor friend who he's not an addict, he's not compulsive, but he's got an unusually keen heart of mercy and truth. And and so he's taking this sex addiction thing on. He's talking about it publicly and openly and graciously. Well, he's got people leaving his church because they don't want to hear about wow. it. You know, right. or like like my book, Intervarsity published my book, but they knew that by and large. 
uh, Christian bookstores wouldn't sell it and won't, won't even carry it. So you got to get it from Amazon or, or online right. from uh, InterVarsity. Uh, you can't find it in Christian bookstores. And because uh, there's a part of us in the church, we just we just want things to be different. Just say no. Just go away. Just uh, Let's just trust Jesus. Jesus is all we need. Well, yeah, Jesus is all we need. But how does Jesus come to us and how do we share Jesus with each other? You know, it's John yeah. 1, 14. It's uh, the word among us. We beheld his glory. Uh, glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, John's saying we beheld him. In his epistle, he says we, t- we touched him. We heard him with our own ears. Um, it's got to be. It's got to be communicated in in the body in in our community. That's true. It's absolutely true. And it's you know it's getting in there. It's breaking this you know self isolated uh, empowerment myth that yeah. know, a lot of us have. And uh, it's again it's being honest, and it's also being humble. Yeah. There's something to being honest, and I think that's great. But being humble as well is just the, the, the one-two punch when it comes to, to discipleship, really, you know? Yeah. That word discipleship, we, we don't necessarily... I think we like it on a surface term, but I think that's some of what we're talking about here, isn't it, Tom? It's it's right down to heart-level discipleship, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Not pretty, yeah. look good on the outside, not go through the routine, not. but really, honestly, where are you at? Who are you? Yeah. And that was a big that was a big part of my recovery, Tom, is is I didn't have a clear beat on who Rush Shaw was. I, I had lost myself in this thing. I mean it it had its hooks in me so deep that I started to, to, to question who I was because I was doing things that were outside of my own moral code, right? And yeah, it's your book is so important, man, and, and your work, what you're doing and man, just keep Keep rattling the fences. Keep overturning tables if you have to. <laughs> I think we're in pretty good company with that. Um, it is going to stir up some people and some folks listening. You know, you're in a church and and you're going to talk about being honest. You're going to talk about being transparent. Um, you're going to push for that. Uh, you might lose some people. You know. Yeah. You may have to. Um, you may have to change churches, right? Uh, I remember. Years ago, first early days of Mars Hill Church down in Ballard and being in these recovery groups, Tom, with these guys and kind of like you were saying where people start to call you out on your bullshit a little bit and having this – there was there was a – James Noriega was a leader of, of some of these groups and, and there was this mirror – that would sit in the in the back room, and there would be like like you were saying, a guy would start talking and 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 trying to give advice or or, or breathe life into another brother, and, and and somebody would grab that mirror and put it right in front of him. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, awesome. That's, that's you, dude. That's what you need to do, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's wolves and there's sheep. That's very true, and we really need to be honest with what what team we're on and. And who we worship, and and uh, that we're not Jesus, you know. I mean, no, we're, we're not Christian. Jesus, and it, it's not all about me, and I'm not in the exactly. center of all this. But I do belong, you know. Our Father in Heaven knows each one of us, and He loves each one of us, and He's got a place for each one of us, and that's the that's the awesomeness of the gospel. We all are worse sinners than we have any idea, any willingness to admit, and uh, God's holier than we got any idea. 
but in reality, he wildly and extravagantly loves us all. And um, and that that's that's just awesome. That's awesome news. You know, uh, uh, one of my um, kick-ins uh, in faith was was getting involved with Young Life when I was a younger person, and the founder of Young Life had a sin, had a statement that it's a um, it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel of Jesus, which is you know right. awesome awesome truth. I used to say that to our our youth staff and our our children's ministry staff on a regular basis. Remember, it's a sin to bore kids with the gospel of Jesus. Um, well, but in adult life, it's a sin to put barriers in the way of the gospel of Jesus. You know, it's um, it's true. It's truth and grace and, and coming to terms with our loving Father in heaven and man. You know, nobody does it perfectly. None of us are going to do it perfectly. Uh, but if we help each other in a spirit of humility, like you said, you know, humility and openness, humility and honesty, man, what God will do uh, is just amazing. It's true, man. I wanted to I wanted to read this. It's, uh, it's from Galatians 6 as we start to close out our talk here. Um, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you, who live by the Spirit, should restore that person gently, but watch over yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Verse 7, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows... To please their flesh will reap destruction, and whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit they will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. What you know, a, as what we, a as we great do this as we do this talk, Tom, I just, you know, I'm almost brought to tears a little bit because I can feel the weight of some of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I can feel the weight of some of it. And maybe there's some folks listening right now who um, are feeling uh, feeling the, uh, almost like, uh, like, like when you have to throw up, mm-hmm. right? Like you need to get something out of you and you need to confess it and you're feeling... Um, maybe speak to that person, whether it's a, a social thing, a sickness in their church, or in their own heart. Um, what would you say to the person who's who's feeling? I mean, don't I guess it's it's it, that don't let it go away. Like don't let that thing fade. Don't let that that wanting to be open and confess and and be honest and challenge, um, right? Challenge darkness when it's when it seems to be hanging over. Yeah. What would you say to that person? Well, the passage that you read, Russ, just says so much, and like you you finished it with that, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
there can be this spirit that gets into our in our souls or this this condemnation particularly if if we've been around a little bit or if we've we've had some history spiritually and we're still not getting it right or we still feel stuck or we're still struggling with addiction or whatever it is like you said something inside that's just gurgling around and we just don't know what to do and we can feel forlorn we can feel like what's the matter with me um, and Paul's talking there about genuine community and uh, being kind to others. And we certainly, you know, can beat up on the church and say, well, let's not judge the world. Well, but let's not judge each other. And let's not even beat up on the church because that's not the point. You know, let's start with the household of faith because God loves the household of faith. He loves all of his children, the lost ones, the found ones, the ones in between, the ones that don't know what they are. They're all loved. You're all loved. Every one of us is desired by heaven. And and the, the key is for us to honestly yield to our best true nature and to the creator of that nature and to say, God, help me. God, have mercy on me. Whatever steps I need to take, show me what the next one is and give me the courage to take it. Yeah. Amen to that. Tom, thanks for being on the podcast Um Again, uh, the book, Ashamed No More, uh, A Pastor's Journey Through Sexual Addiction, uh, it's going to be on the book list. You know, that's another one that I challenge listeners with. Uh, feed feed your mind some good stuff, you know. I think that, I don't think there's anything wrong with watching TV and movies, but there's just so much novelty out there that I think we need some meat and potatoes, and, and your book provides that, and, and, and Nate's book, and... and I mean, it's, it's feeding ourselves something a little bit more nutritious for the spirit, right? Amen. Uh, yeah. So I'll I have that right that, there on the, on the yeah. website. And, yeah. Wow, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate everything you're doing, my friend. I, I so Again, I so enjoy the podcast, enjoy you, appreciate you, pray for you. And um, just uh, for each of us to keep, uh, keep moving on because with God there's more. There's always more. That's right. Um, Tom, why don't you uh, why don't you close this out in prayer, man? As we as we end this this uh, time together. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your love. Um, keep us focused on the things that truly matter. God, give to each one of us what we need. Um, you know, each one of your sons and daughters listening to this podcast, you know, each one of their stories and journeys. There's nothing that escapes your notice. Jesus told us that you note the birds and you note the hair that we have on our heads or that we don't, and uh, you know it all. So, God, we just pray that you'll help us uh, take take hold of our lives, uh, help each one of us wherever we are, whatever spot we're in, um, that we might grow in your grace and grow in your truth, and that we might experience the kind of freedom uh, that Jesus came to grant to us so that you might receive glory, we might receive life, and the world might be blessed. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Tom, thanks again for being on the podcast. Uh, again, uh, ASI247.org is the website. I'll have uh, Tom's book right there if you want to check it out. I also wanted to put a, a, a link to the video you did. You did a talk on the uh, online 
to some folks, and I think that it would be really good for folks in leadership to, oh, yeah. to listen to yeah, that yeah. talk as well, because I think yeah. you, you go into some of that, and, and it's it's really important. Um, again, thanks for listening. There goes Tom Ryan. Love that guy, man. Uh, praying for him and the work that he does, and, and moving that message forward. Just uh, awesome. I have a link to his book. Ashamed to Know More on the website, ASI247.org, as well as if you click on the link, um, there's a link for porn addiction web links, uh, the links tab at the top of the page, you will, uh, you'll be brought to all the different links that I have, some more resources and information there, as well as a talk on uh, Vimundo, is that what it's called? Anyway the video, the other YouTube, right? Um, a talk embedded there is a, a talk that he did um, to Christian leaders and some guys in a men's group there, but it's a really good talk for folks in leadership. Um, there's also on that same page uh, the videos from the series, the Real Marriage series by Pastor Mark Driscoll at Mars Hill Church and his wife Grace. Um, man, I highly recommend that video series. If your marriage is in trouble, if you feel the, the weight of, of some of that and you know that there's some things that, you know, maybe you just need some information and, and his story and his wife's story and especially for some of you guys who are pastors, um, Mark talks about being a pastor and, and struggling with these uh, relationship pressures with his marriage and, and how how that was worked out by the grace of Jesus Christ. So um, those two videos are on that links page. If you click on the links page, uh, they're on ASI247.org. Um, again, you could get home from a hard day at work and plop yourself in front of the TV. And there's some, right, I mean, I'm not anti-TV, right? I, I watch my share of, of television and good stories and stuff like that, right, to entertain me. But I think we can get addicted to the novelty and we can just be lulled into that kind of comfortable, right, just boil the frog, right? It's a whole nother metaphor for another day. But um, you see what I'm saying, right? That maybe watching these videos instead of watching an hour-long TV show may nourish your soul a little more, may feed the, the dog, right, the spirit dog, using my, uh, my Indian friend's proverb there, than the fleshy one. Um, you have a choice, reading, uh, getting a book off the book list, and doing that, it's very important. But I want to end out a song with a song, and it's kind of a it's kind of a sermon jam song, so to speak. Uh, it's an awesome tune, and it's something that you need to realize with your relationship with God. Man, I was emailing a, a, a listener back and forth, actually a couple of listeners who are struggling with depression and feeling distant from God, and and my question to to this one listener was. Um, you, you know, Jesus isn't distant, right? Like I wanted him to understand that. And, and I, I asked the question, um, which God do you feel distant from, right? Small g there, right? I think our, our 
way we see God or the way we think God is, and again, this is why I'm a Christian, the way that we encounter our relationship with our Father in Heaven who loves us. He doesn't put down a bunch of rules in front of his kids and says, oh yeah, if you can do these rules, then I'll love you. Like, that's not, that's abusive. That's not what your Father in Heaven does. Here's an awesome tune. It's by the David Crowder Band, and you'll hear um, Pastor Matt Chandler in Texas and another pastor from the Midwest, uh, John Piper's voice in this song. It's just a very important message. This is your relationship with your father and your right? You're his child and, and it's his story, alright? It's God's story and we get to play this bit part. We get to be in the subplot of the story that, that God has put forth. Here you go. And until next time, bye. Get saved, because then you won't. And I got saved and kept on doing. So then where am I supposed to go? Because apparently Jesus doesn't work for me. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll work through this. But I'm not letting you go in the meantime. Oh, we'll get there. I'll finish it. I started it. I'll be faithful to finish. Don't give up. Keep walking. Keep pressing in. Keep confessing. But don't give up. I'll heal you. I won't let you go. There is no one who can condemn you. I don't. And if I don't, no one can. Who will even bring a charge against you? Your mind. What court could they possibly charge you in? Everything's mine. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us, oh, oh That God in eternity looked upon me, foreseeing my fallenness, my pride, my sin, and said, I want that man in my family. I'll do anything to get him in my family. I will pay for him to be in my family with my son's life. That's love, folks. That is mega, off-the-charts love. Love's like a hurricane, I am a tree Building me the weight of His wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are Action.
loves us, how he loves us all. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That, that's why. We've got this weird compartmentalization thing that happens where you don't think that God sees all that you are or that if he could have somehow knew who you were going to be, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Um, listen, God knew you were going to be messy. Uh, Christ knew that you were going to be messy. God, God knows that you're going to screw up often. He knows that you're going to be drawn to things that are wicked. He knows that's what the cross is all about. The whole point of the cross is that you're going to fail and you're going to stumble and you're going to feel dirty and you're going to feel awkward. And you're going to, the whole point of the cross of Christ is there be this mighty picture of his love and pursuit of you despite you. So the cross is necessary because of you, but it's also the picture we have of just how far God is willing to go because He loves you. bitter against the church. I just think somehow we've got off and there's all this talk about morality and people are conforming themselves to these moral codes, but they don't know Jesus. Who cares? It's the resurrection of Christ that justifies. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so big. It proves that all the wrath of God was poured out. It's gone. For the elect, it's gone. There is no more wrath. There's, there's none. So Jesus sees you and he's like, my son, my daughter, perfect, spotless, blameless.